I'd encourage you to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 15. Title of our message today, it's time to worship, and I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 15 as we begin. Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to open your word today. Lord, we know that your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in that truth. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I love about the book of Revelation is all the worship scenes that John describes for us. In many ways, this, this book is kind of like a worship manual because we see so many things that we learn about worship here. In chapter 1, we see John falling at the feet of Jesus. In chapter 4, we see the 24 elders falling down and casting their crowns before the Lord. Chapter 5, we see every created thing singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Chapter 7, we see the numberless multitude in white robes, and they're saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Chapter 11, we see the 24 elders worshiping the Lord because he has begun to reign. Chapter 12, we see those in heaven rejoicing over Satan's defeat. Chapter 14, the 144,000 singing a new song because they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And here in chapter 15, we find another worship scene, and and we aren't done yet. There are many more to come. This book is truly a book of worship. There's a reason why there's such a great emphasis on worship in Revelation. According to chapter 1, verse 1, this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And whenever the people of God get a glimpse of Jesus, they respond with worship. Isn't that true? When you get a glimpse of Jesus and you see him in his glory, his majesty, his grace and mercy, God's people bow at his feet and worship him. As we examine this worship scene before us, I want to focus on three reasons why we ought to join in. So as we Look at what's going on in this passage. There ought to be that desire to say, Lord, I want to be a part of this. I want to join in to this this time of worship. Notice the first reason. It's time to worship the Lord for saving his people. In the first verse of chapter 15, John sees what he describes as another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. 
He sees seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. This sign is great and marvelous because it's a sign of enormous importance. The seven bowls of wrath poured out upon the earth is God's final warning to the people of the world that the day of judgment is near. And in his mercy, God is saying, these bowls of wrath are a warning sign that you need to repent before it's too late. If you look at what's happening in this worship scene, there's a, there's an obvious Old Testament picture, a picture of what God has already done to save his people from judgment. Verse 2 says, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And notice what they sang. Verse 3 says, they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses brings us back to Exodus chapter 15. It was the song that the people of Israel sang when they were brought through the Red Sea, delivered from the Egyptians. Exodus 15 verse 13 says, In your loving kindness you have led the people whom you have redeemed. Song of Moses is really a song of redemption because that's exactly what God did to deliver his people. He redeemed them from their bondage in Egypt and the way that he did that, if you remember, was through a lamb, through the Passover lamb. Perhaps this is why John says that they sang here in Revelation the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb. There are many parallels between Jesus and the Passover Lamb. The Passover Lamb had to be spotless. It was to be one uh, that had no defect of, of any kind. And as we look at Jesus, we see he is the spotless Lamb, right? First Peter 1.19 says that we are redeemed with the precious blood as of a Lamb unblemished and spotless the Lamb of Christ. The Passover Lamb had to die in place of the people. It was a substitute. And that's exactly what Jesus became for us. First Peter 3.18, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. The Passover Lamb spared the people from death, and Jesus did that for us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And one thing you'll notice about that Passover blood, it, it needed to be applied. Because Jesus said, or God said, When I see the blood, I will pass over. The same is true for us. The blood of Jesus needs to be applied to our lives. We need to put that our trust in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. It needs to be a personal thing, a personal relationship with him. So in all these ways, the, the Passover lamb points us to Jesus. And the wonderful thing about it is that he welcomes us to come to him just as we are. I don't know if you've ever noticed on a, 
When you buy a used car, you'll have a little sticker on the window, and it'll describe a little bit about the car, you know, how, what, how old it is, and so forth. And many of them will say that that car is being sold as is, meaning that if there's something wrong with it, you're responsible to to take care of it, to, to fix it. And as I as I think of that, Jesus accepts us as is, right? The hymn writer put it just as I am, I come. And that's the glory, that's the beauty of the gospel. And that's why we worship him today, because of what Jesus has done. The blood that he shed for us, the price that he paid for us. We join in with the multitude here in Revelation chapter 15, singing the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb, because in both cases, it's the Lamb that saves us. Oh, the precious blood of the Lamb. It's time to worship the Lord for for saving his, His people. Notice the second thing, it's time to worship the Lord for revealing His righteousness. If you look at the words of the song that is sung in heaven, you will notice a definite emphasis on the Lord's righteousness. Verse 3, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. You see, the way in which God's righteousness is revealed here is in how he, in how he judges those who persecute his people. This is one of the reasons why all the bowls of God's wrath are poured out upon the earth. We see that in chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. After the first three bowls are poured out on the earth, there are witnesses who proclaim to us that these judgments are based upon the righteousness of God. We have the witness of an angel. Verse 5, I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it, the angel said. So there's nothing unfair or unjust in what happens here. Those who shed blood are given blood to drink. These people are only getting what they deserve. And these bowls of wrath, God's righteous acts, they're being revealed. The second witness to God's righteousness comes from the altar. Verse 7, And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. You're wondering who is speaking from the altar. It's the martyrs. It's it's those who who died for their faith because we find them in chapter 6, verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So now when we come to chapter 15, the time has come for God to avenge the blood of those who had been slain, and they are testifying that God is righteous in his judgment. Simon Kistemaker says, God's holiness tolerates no unrighteousness. And his judgments are always right and just. Saints who confess their sins receive his grace. But sinners who refuse to repent receive what they deserve. Now some some may wonder why the revealing of God's righteousness would be a reason to worship him. Let me give you a couple reasons. When we truly worship God, we worship him for who he is. And that includes all of who he is. There are some who would say, you know, I, I appreciate the love of God and the mercy of God, but, you know, my God, uh, he would never judge anyone. My God, you know, he, he, he's all love and, and, and mercy. That's making a God in your own mind. That, that's a God of your own imagination, not the God of Scripture. And, and in reality, that is idolatry. To make God something that he is not. So, when we, when we truly worship God, we worship him for who he is. And that includes all of who he is. Merciful, yes, but righteous and, and just. Another reason we worship God for revealing his righteousness is because sin must be punished. What would life in this world be like if there was no punishment for sin? We would destroy ourselves. And that is one of the reasons why God has established government. We have laws for our protection, and when we violate those laws, we pay a price for it. Because of sin, there has to be a system of justice. A sin must be punished. And if that, and if sin isn't punished now, it will be on the day of judgment. So God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. And we worship Him. We worship him for revealing his righteousness. Thirdly, it's time to worship the Lord for extending his mercy. When we look at the last four bowls of wrath that are poured out on the earth, we see quite a contrast with the first three, especially when we examine the reaction to these judgments. The first three bowls that are poured out upon the earth are met with worship. Believers in heaven praise God because he is true and, and, and righteous. But with the last four bowls, it's a whole different story. Instead of worshiping God, the people of the earth are blaspheming God. Instead of repenting of their sins, they, they stubbornly refuse to repent. And notice how John describes that. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. The fifth angel sounded, or a fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. 
and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. The seventh angel sounded or poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God. So the response of those who don't know the Lord is, is a refusal to repent. Why does John repeatedly mention this? that men refuse to repent. I believe that John mentions this because God's desire has always been for people to repent. God doesn't want anyone to perish, so he sends these judgments to awaken men to their need. And up until the very end, think of that, up until the very end, God is mercifully extending, offering his forgiveness and His grace to those who have not repented of their sin. R. Kent Hughes says, because of the way in which John notes this response, it appears that these bowls are intended as a final warning, a final call to repentance. God sent His witnesses, the church proclaimed the gospel, people have been given every evidence that God is Lord, that God is creator, that God has provided redemption through Jesus, and that God will judge, and the world refuses to repent. It's actually worse than that. Not only do men refuse to repent, not only do they blaspheme God, they actually go to war against God. Can you imagine that? Verse 12 of chapter 16 says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl of the great river, the river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together For the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. We would say Armageddon. Now if you look at what God does in these final expressions of his wrath, it's clear that he isn't one you ought to pick a battle with. God is not one you ought to fight against. He can send malignant sores. He can turn the sea and the rivers and the springs into blood. He can scorch men with the sun. He can send earthquakes, hailstones. And yet the kings of the earth gather their armies together against God the Almighty. How foolish can they be? Psalm 2 describes how foolish it is to fight against the Lord. The psalm says, Why are the nations in an uproar, the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. 
You know what God's response to that is? Is he worried? (laughs) Hardly. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Why would the kings of the earth go to war against God? The reason why they go to war against God is because they are deceived. Look at how John pictures that. He says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, which is Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, which is the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, demons. They are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth to gather them for that day. The war of the great day of God, the Almighty. This will not be the great day of man, not the great day of the kings of the earth, but the great day of God, the Almighty. So those who would dare to fight against God have been deceived by Satan and his demons. They have bought the lie that you can blaspheme God, you can refuse to repent, you can fight against him, and there won't be any consequences. What a deceptive lie. There's one thing we have learned in our study of Revelation. It is that there are consequences for rebellion against God. He will judge those who take their stand against him. And yet, God still extends his mercy if people will only repent. Listen to the invitation given to those who take their stand against the Lord in Psalm 2. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son so that he may not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. We live at a time when God's wrath may soon be kindled. And that's why we need a refuge. We need a place of safety. And the psalmist in Psalm 2 tells us where that refuge is. It is in Jesus. He is our place of safety. And notice how that psalm ends, how blessed are all those who take refuge in him. I remember when I was in high school and college and would go grouse hunting up in northern Minnesota. And I used to go to a place where on one side of the road was you were able to hunt and, and on the other side was, was a game refuge. And if you walked down that road, it was really interesting. When you saw any grouse along the road, they invariably went to the game refuge. How can that be? How do they know that? They, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but... It seemed like every time I came down, they they flew to that place of safety. They knew where to go, their refuge. So I ask you today, do you know where to go? Where is your refuge? Where is your place of safety? I, I need to remind you that there's only one place of safety. There's only one refuge, and that is Jesus. 
And that's why we worship him today. That's why we bow at his feet and, and acknowledge his glory and mercy and grace and love for us. Um, come to Jesus today. Bow at his feet. Acknowledge him as your Savior and your Lord. That's where we find hope. That's where our refuge is. Our place of safety is in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the worship scene that we see in this uh, section of Revelation, one among many. Uh, Lord, it's time to worship. It's time to bow at your feet, uh, thanking you for your great mercy and for your uh, righteousness and, and how you still, even to the very end, are offering salvation to all who would put their trust in you. Oh, Lord, may that be true of our lives today, that we are resting, trusting, worshiping Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. For we pray in his name. Amen.